everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hustle Podcast. Yes, thank you so much. We do have a request though before we get started. If you have found our content to be entertaining or helpful, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? Those five-star reviews really help to make sure that our content gets out there and that our show continues to grow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando and we're on episode 315. Yeah, 315. And this is exciting because we're doing an update episode and uh, I might be a little are, bit distracted. Are we, are we doing an update episode? Oh, no, never mind. We're not doing an update episode. You are distracted. I'm distracted because there's a baseball game playing in the corner over here. Hey, we weren't going to say anything. Oh, you weren't going to say anything? No, I was just going to let it play while we recorded. All right. So, you know, we're we're, we're committed to the podcast here, but uh, I guess there's some big baseball game happening. Oh, only the Padres know. in the National League Championship since 1998. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't really follow baseball. No so. one with the record that the Padres had has made it this far since 1906. Mm, so I guess the, the bolo for people out there, which I'm sure most people know this already, but, uh, you know, Padre stuff is probably selling a little bit higher than it has in the past. Which, oh, I've been selling like crazy. Which is nuts because, I mean, we have easy access to Padre stuff here in San Diego, but there's never been like a huge demand no, for Padre or anything. Remember a month ago, remember the G- my G.I. Joe, remember yeah, that yeah. story? That was the the state sale where instead of getting the G.I. Joe, I ended up picking up a bunch of Padre stuff. Mm. And look at the timing. Oh, that's good timing. Right? I probably I'm probably gonna do better than the G.I. Joe guy. At least that's the way I'm gonna see it. Yeah. So in your it, it worked out providentially for you that the uh maybe maybe that's why the Padres have made it this far. Is just, just for me. Just for you, because you so missed the G.I. Padre Joe. Stuff. That's your G.I. Joe and you lost it. So it's gonna it's gonna come back one way or another. So okay, we're not doing an update episode. Uh, but I'm going to update you on what we are doing, we which is we are doing how eBay has changed since 2017. So and the reason I episode. say 2017 is that was the start of the podcast. Yeah, man, that's a that was a long time ago. That I, was I started five to feel years. Like that's that's pretty crazy to think that we've been doing that for this long. Uh, unless my years are off, but at least four. Yeah, 18, 19, 20, 21, 19. Yeah, it's somewhere around there, like four to five years. Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> So now the the way I, we wanted to set this up was we don't want to just talk about how eBay changed. Everybody can talk about how eBay changed, but we want to talk about how to use it to your advantage yeah. to gain more sales, to continue selling on eBay. Because let's be real, eBay is something you need to adapt to. You can't do the same thing you were doing five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You have to always adapt and it's painful and I hate it. I mean, I, I any anytime there's like a, a change that I don't favor, I automatically go like, ah, oh, do I really want to go through all this? Yeah. There's definitely been some changes that are, are really rough and, and, and definitely and a lot of good ones. Yeah. And good ones too. But, uh, one of the things that we got to realize is the world just doesn't stay static. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, like the ability to adapt and to recognize that things change. Uh, but it amazes me how many people don't see it. Right. And one of the reasons why, you almost have this weird disconnect sometimes even like generationally with people is uh, that there are people who have done something a certain way. They, they've, Mm -hmm. they have good advice, they have good experiences, but their experiences and their advice might work for a time or a system that's no longer kind of functioning. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to recognize that sometimes things change. Like I even think about that with me with video. So I used to teach video production at the high school level. It's not like super high level video production stuff, Uh, but I think like technology changes so quickly that if I were to 
take that class on again today. And it's only been, you know, four years since I've taught that class. If I were to take that class on again today and start teaching it with the same like strategies and tools that I used four years ago, it, it would be ancient. Like yeah. the things the kids are doing are different than I was doing then. So technology, any, You'd be anytime like the teaching using overhead slides. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like, all right, today we're going to be using PowerPoint. If you guys don't know, nobody uses PowerPoint anymore. Everybody's really? Google slides. Oh yeah. Power. Oh man. Please don't tell me you're using PowerPoint. I, oh, yeah. I goodness. All right. So, uh, we're going to get, or, or like, you, you know, when you meet some people, but it's not like the old one where it's like the old backlays and then the sound yeah. effects and the animation, and you got like, the, I don't uh, do any of this or, or yeah. So you can kind of tell. So the, again, there's nothing wrong. Like there, I know people who still use their AOL email, right. Or their yeah, Yahoo email. That, so, that so you can look at that and say like, Hey, they've got a good email address. Everybody knows that email address. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So there's certain times where technology changes, but you can kind of date somebody and say like, if they're still using that, like they were into the internet when at this time frame, that's when they first got yep. into it. So the same thing is true with something like eBay. When you're dealing with technology, the principles of reselling, the principles of economics, those don't change very much. Like those concepts stay the same. But when you're dealing with a, a technological platform, things change really, really quick. And sometimes you don't even realize it if you're staying up to date and you're 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 consistent with it. But there's probably some people who are trying to resell like it's two years ago, three years ago, and they don't realize why their stores are dropping. So sometimes it's a, a, occasionally proper and appropriate to kind of look at how things have changed. Uh, are you adapting with those changes and kind of anticipate potential future changes to make sure that you're prepared, ready to go, ready to adapt so that you're not falling behind and becoming a dinosaur, which can happen in just a couple of years in today's uh, yeah, And then you'll technology. end up in that, you know, the rabbit hole of negative resellers. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So we decided to break this up into three. And, and I don't know why I always come up with this, maybe because I'm a fan of Clint Eastwood movies, but I broke it up into the good, the bad, and the really great, not the ugly, right? Because we don't want to delve into the the ugly. Not, so we'll make the bad part of the ugly, but a lot of good things. And I would say the first one is way more data. Like I would say five years ago, you would never be able to see your impressions. You'd never be able to see your sell-through rate. Terapeak wasn't even on eBay. It was a complete different company. Right now, they did say at one point that they were going to integrate. Remember when they said that they're going to integrate it into the app? Yeah, man, that would have been great. And we would have had 365-day comps. That would have been great. Now, maybe it'll happen. And then there's just price suggestions that are on there. Now, I'm not saying you have to follow by those guidelines, but it is really helpful, especially if you're trying to fat, do a fast nickel, trying to get that sell rate going. Use that data to your advantage. Right. The shipping data is very powerful. And when it tells you people do free shipping and it's like, you know, whatever percentage, like you probably need to fall in line on that because your stuff is going to take longer to sell than everybody else's. So data is is very key. Now, you could also take it to the other side where you're spending all day trying to get your impressions up, trying to get your sales conversions up and all that. So you got to be careful, but definitely use that data to see, am I still sourcing items that I should be sourcing? Am I selling at the right price? All that information now is in Seller Hub. It's also in your listing when you're listing. So I'm grateful that eBay has that information because uh, I think it allows you to better adapt. You're not just looking at comps and listing things, you know, outgoing. Oh, well, this is what it's sold for. Hopefully it'll sell. Yeah, it, it is very useful to have more data and you can get to a point where you've got data paralysis where there's so much data and you don't know what to do with it so there is a fine line between uh being stuck in analyzing data and not actually doing anything mm -hmm. useful with it versus knowing what to do with the data making sure that you are are using it to your advantage 
And I always suggest spend a little bit of time getting familiar with it. If you're only used to tracking the cost of item uh, that you purchase and then the cost of the sell and then maybe subtracting shipping, but like maybe you, those are like the three numbers you're looking at. How much did it cost? How much did it sell for? What was the shipping fees and the eBay fees? I mean, that, that that's basic data. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. essentially what you need. However, there's, there's more information you can look at. So you can really start to look into, uh, what are the fees in different categories, all of the different things you can look into. And it's useful and, and probably a good idea to spend a little bit of time figuring out which of those data points you can add to your the spreadsheet you're keeping, to the bookkeeping you're already doing, so that you can keep track. But I think Orlando's right that uh, you don't want to get too focused in on it. I, I like to look at things like this where one data point is not enough information. So if you're looking at, hey, today I did this much, my sell-through rate was this much, that's less than yesterday. I need to change everything about my business. That's there's not enough. There's not enough information there for you to make those kinds of big decisions. What you want to be looking at are trend lines over a period of time with lots of lots of data points. So if you've got you know a month worth of data points and you've sold 400 pairs of you know clothing items, used clothing items at different times, different shipping amounts, different. Now, all of a sudden, you've got some useful data that you can use for figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's like people who you know are dieting or something and they weigh themselves every hour like that. You're never going to be able to figure out, like, did you make the right choice today based off of why I weigh a little bit more this morning uh, than I did last night? OK, that that you need to look at it over a period of time. How are you doing over the week? How are you doing over the month? Right. So look at the data. But the only way you're going to actually have that information to look at is if, if you're taking advantage of those resources that are there for you. So. They've added more points that you can look at and it's easier to find them. So make sure you're actually using. Yeah. Now the next one I really do like, and it's the expansion of international shipping. So when Mike and I started the podcast, it was global shipping right now. You could have sold outside of global shipping. Mike and I never wanted to do that. Uh, and, and the reason being is the seller protection. The seller protection was great. Once you got to Kentucky, that's it. Now the problem was, that if you had people from Canada or you had people, let's say, from other regions that were nearby, it was really expensive, right? And so generally, a lot of people that would have bought internationally from you were turned off by the high upfront import and custom fees. And so then eBay introduced a standard international delivery. And that meant that you would sell something. And yes, you would still ship. It wouldn't be Kentucky for us in the West Coast. It's Redondo Beach. But what would happen is those customs and those import fees, they would be told that they can pay for them when they go pick up the item. Right. So it expanded more areas. I would say one of the areas that I adapted to was Canada, where I had so many Canadian buyers and and a lot of you that are in Canada listen to us that, you know, especially Harley shirts. So Harley shirts, I always had global shipping and it would be obscene amounts of money they would be paying, not only because Canadian postage is a crazy dollar to ship anything out there. But on top of that, the import and the custom fees, even though they might be, let's say, just like in Windsor, which is like right across from Detroit. Right. And so there'd be huge expense to global shipping. Right. And so now with international standard delivery, you're able to do a lot more. And then on top of that, eBay began to integrate with pirate ship and then you had simple export. Have you used simple export yet? I haven't. So simple export is like the global shipping program, but it's pirate ship. And if I remember right, it allows you to ship that 
to other countries that the global shipping or into eBay international delivery doesn't, but pirate ship has like its own insurance, has its own like logistics and same idea. You ship it to where they want you to ship it and they'll take care of the rest. So, you know, to me, I don't know that I, that maybe that's under the really great, but uh, you know, the problem with is I will say, do you, do you find that GSP that the protection isn't there like it used to be? Um, you know, I've noticed more people complaining about that. I still haven't had issues with GSP. Most of the things I ship through GSP arrive just fine. And the handful that I have uh, that have arrived broken or something, because a lot of times it's it's a collectible item because it's often expensive items that are going GSP. And it makes sense uh, because it, it means people don't care about the shipping price as much if they're, they're willing to pay a ton of money for an item. Uh, so sometimes these are collectible items or breakable items. And... They're going across boats and planes and all kinds of craziness. And so, I don't know if they're going across boats. Who knows? How long right? is it shipping on a boat? It might it's a it, month. Depending on where it's going, it could end up on a bicycle. Like, it, who knows? A horse. So, a horse. Th- there's definitely okay. a chance that these items are going to see a lot of uh, wear and tear and uh, rumble and tumble. And so, I've had a couple where it's like this box was soaking wet and then ripped apart. And then uh, this looks like it was stepped on by a horse and, and various things. So, uh, and eBay has always covered it. I've never had an issue with that, but I have seen other people complain about it. So, okay. Take that for what it's worth. And so I do think it, it's not like it used to be before. I, I really, I remember it didn't matter what happened. It didn't matter. I mean, Probably a lot of people took advantage of it. Like they probably just, I, I, could, I could see some scammers just sending junk in the box and just shipping it over, you know, or at least saying something that was new and it wasn't new and they just shipped it and they're like global shipping is protected. Right. And so a lot of that went away because I've had some instances, for example, uh, this last month I had somebody, it was weird. I sold a pair of cowboy boots that was dented in the front. Like it was a square toe and it was dented. And then they said, oh, I knew it was dented, but then there was another dent in the back and it was covered by the strap of the boot. And I'm like, what? And so they were asking for a refund. And I have, I do not offer refunds on international shipping, Mm -hmm. but if it's an INAD, they can ask for money back guarantee, which Mm -hmm. that wasn't the case if I remember from early days of global shipping. So you got to take the good and the bad. The good is way more buyers out there available to you. I find my highest sales are usually international buyers, but the the bad has been, hey, you know, the seller protections aren't like they used to be, but we'll talk later about how seller protections actually have improved. I think they've improved on eBay. And maybe it's just my experience. I always get literally talking about that, but I I just want to share some of our experience now. What about defects? Have you had to handle any defects lately? Um, what do you mean by defects? Like defects, whether it be negative feedback, whether it be an INAD, whether it be late shipping. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, one of the things that have definitely gotten easier, part of that is we've, you've mentioned already this idea of seller protections. And I feel like eBay has, has done a pretty good job of trying to include as much of that as possible. And, and, and some of it's just simple features, right? Features such as uh, requesting that a buyer you know, remove that negative feedback. Yeah. Th- that never was there. There's like, I think you could do five a year or maybe it's different for everyone, but if you go to your negative, your feedback stuff, you can actually click on there and ask them to revise it. That was never there. Yeah. So, I mean, just simple things like that, being able to easily uh, try and fix the problem without having to make a big giant issue out of it. So there've definitely been things that have gotten easier with that. And even just, um, maybe this is just personal anecdotal experience, but even calling eBay, um, I, d- I don't know. I, I didn't have many problems when I first started 2017, uh, but 
it seems like they've gotten their system is a little bit better as far as hey if you're offering if you're offering returns if you're you've you're in a good your top rated seller all of these things uh it's faster for them to take care of those things right they're mm-hmm. they're more likely to to remove those defects to count t- towards your side as opposed to before you know eBay might side with you but who knows, right? Is it just depends on on the person you get and the, the story you have to end up telling, and then what they feel about it. Whereas now, I feel like if if it's pretty clear in their policies, hey, you're you're a top rated seller, you're offering returns, you it looks like you tried to do what you could. Okay, we're gonna remove this this defect. Yeah, and and there's even ways that you don't even have to talk to anybody. For example, uh, maybe it was around, but eBay for Business on Facebook. Right. You could you could message them now. That's one way. The other one I really do like is uh, the eBay seller help. So I really don't know why. Maybe it's on seller hub. <laughs> the only way I find it is I Google eBay seller help and then I go to request assistance after I click on that. And it's really easy. You just go on there and you go request to remove defect, request to remove negative feedback, request for whatever it is, case defect. And you don't have to talk to anybody. You just you click on it. You type in your rationale if it fits under the parameters they established within 48 hours to get it removed. And that was never around. I mean, I'll never forget my uh, one negative. It wasn't like negative. there was a time where eBay was like, uh, I forget what it was. But like if you got like a certain number of things, like it ended up demoting you on on like the eBay. Search. It was weird. Mm-hmm. I've shared the story where it was like. I I shipped out a short sleeve shirt. I put that it was short sleeve and the person. Oh, no, I didn't put that it was short sleeve. The picture showed short sleeve. The guy thought he was getting a long sleeve and he gave me a defect. And I couldn't. There was not there was no way to argue. There was no website to go to. There really wasn't anybody I could message. And uh, that was just before that was probably like a year or two before the podcast. So definitely take advantage of that. Maybe some of you don't know about the eBay seller help, uh, but it is a great tool. I would I've always said this and I've shared this in Discord a lot is try to minimize your contacts with eBay. And we I think we've talked about this a lot, lately, but do everything you can through their systems. So when you do call, it actually means something. And if they're ever tracking that, it doesn't look like you're always trying to call, you know? All right. Hey, uh, before we move on to, uh, to the bad here, uh, if you haven't yet gone to whatnot and sourced, I just did an auction a couple hours ago, sold a bunch of hats and it was funny cause somebody was like, uh, yeah, um, I've, my prices have been low, but I've been finding a lot of good stuff. And so to me, and, and then another person said, I'm selling a really well collectible. So whatnot is kind of this place where either you're going to do really well collectibles or you're going to do really great at sourcing. But here's the deal. You can get a free $15 by going to our affiliate link below and just uh, signing up. If you're brand new to whatnot, you get a free $15. So for example, today I was auctioning off hats for a dollar. Pretty sure somebody bought like three or four hats for like two to three bucks each and the shipping was covered and they pretty much got those three or four hats and it's going to just be basically free money and their cost of goods when they list it on eBay and they sell it is going to be zero. So you're going to make good profit. Yeah, track those metrics. So, so pretty nice. So there you go. So go to our link below and uh, sign up for whatnot. All right, the bad. How much do you love item specifics? You know what? If I had to, if I had to like rate one to ten, how much I love item specifics, it's like a, like a negative three. It's not fun. Now I'll be honest. Like when we first when I first started eBay, it made sense, right? There's certain item specifics you have to put in, but it's like they all kind of seemed optional. So I put in the ones that made the most sense for the items I were selling. And I think 
we've seen it. We've all talked about the the craziness of like what became optional versus what Put became recommended versus what became yeah. required. And luckily we have ways we've, we've made videos about ways of like quickly inputting certain item specifics. The hard part is you can say, all right. And, and I think they, they push a little bit harder. The idea that people, when they're looking up a certain brand or certain, whatever are going to put in all of those item specifics. And I'm sure there are people who do, I think it's less of people searching with those item specifics for everything, as opposed to their certain categories, certain types of items where they do do that for. And, eBay's algorithm though punishes you for not having those item specifics in. Mm -hmm. So even if, even if adding all of those item specifics perfectly in your item descriptions would make at bring 1%, 3%, I don't know, I'm throwing random numbers out there, but some low number percentage of more buyers to your item. All right. That's something that's not nothing. However, eBay will punish you for not having those by maybe reducing the visibility of the item by 40, 50%, or I don't know, again, just throwing random numbers out there, but the, the benefit you're getting is actually less about the actual benefit of more buyers versus the benefit of not being punished in the algorithm. Mm -hmm. So really that's the win for us. The win for us is not being punished in the algorithm. Well, before they started punishing us in the algorithm, I wasn't being punished by the algorithm. So I didn't need those item specifics. Yep. So it's one of those things where I get it. It's important for eBay. It's probably useful for them because we, we talked about at the beginning of the episode data, right? Like I think part of it is they get a few more sales. A big part of it though, is just having that information. Like information is power. That's what made Amazon what it is, is they just literally have so much information on customers, what types of items do well, when those items do well, do certain colors do better at certain times of the month. Like they have everything you could possibly think of. So they know what to push, what to promote, what to, uh, what to, not promote. They they have all of that information. And so eBay, I think, is trying to do the same thing. And the the bummer is we're we are punished in a sense. But I guess we have to consider the fact that if eBay, if it actually does help eBay, if having all this information allows eBay to be more successful as a business, then in the long run, it does help us. Downstream, if eBay succeeds, eBay sellers will You should succeed. be hired by their PR team. No, I mean, I'm I, I'm just trying to be realistic about it. Like, cause I can, I can be negative. I can say it's, it sucks. And I could also be almost ridiculously optimistic and say, my sales have improved a hundred percent because I added the fact that it was blue with checkered instead of just having that in my, my title, I added that in my description. And now my sale, like, I don't think that's true, but if it helps eBay, then maybe down the road, it helps me. So I guess it's a win. I'm going to try and be realistic there. Okay. Now the practical part right here is, and I shared this, I think, in our last update, but make sure if a word is in your title, that word should be in your item specifics, right? So if you're putting a color in your title, it should be in your item specifics. If you're using some kind of keyword that's related to your item, it should be in your item specifics, the size, item specifics. Any word that is in your title needs to be your item specifics. Uh, that's what they said. But if people were using item specifics, then you wouldn't need those words in the title. I know, but you, I'm just repeating what eBay said. Okay. That's what they said. All right? all right. Now this one came from something that was really great, but now it's a problem we're all dealing with. And I was like, I don't know, maybe today we're not, I got to tell you today has been weird. I have had zero of these. So I don't know what's going on. Maybe the time that today, today's the day that there's no more unpaid items. Mm, no more ever yeah ever. right okay. there's always going to be unpaid but items. you know 
before. So unpaid items, I would th- I I strongly want to say that it wasn't that big of a deal a few years ago because even if you gave even if you offered best offer on everything, you didn't feel it as much. But once eBay introduced, and we'll talk about this later on in the podcast, send offer, it just escalated the unpaid items. Because mm-hmm. before, you'd have somebody that would offer and you would accept it. And then you're kind of like, all right, maybe they didn't see it. You know, it's going to be a little bit for them to eventually pay. But when you send an offer and somebody accepts it and they don't pay, it's super frustrating. Because obviously, if you accepted it, you could have just spent the next two seconds and paid for it. And I mean two seconds, not any more than that. Okay. And so that's where I think the frustration is, is that, and and we always have had this frustration, but it it just escalated because see, when we accept offers, we can auto accept. A buyer doesn't auto accept a send offer. They literally have to hit accept offer and then they have the option to pay and then they don't. Yeah. I think, I think the difference so we got to consider that the buyer has two sides of this. Um, if they send the offer versus if they receive the offer. I think that if they're receiving the offer, that should be an easy fix on the eBay side, uh, where when they press accept, they have to pay in order for the accept to go and through. It, and it's not. Right. However, the other side, I again, I, I have people always you know, attack, not attack me. They, they point out that I'm wrong. So Can I get I it. Um, I, I'm not trying to defend the, oh, the no. fact that buyers don't have to pay. However, I understand that there are also some people who are like, hey, I'm just throwing it out there. Like I found this one, this one T-shirt that I like and six different sellers have it and they're all signed up for 60 bucks ish each. But I'm going to like send $35 offers on them. Well, I could send a one and wait to the 24 hours or I'm just going to send all six. None of them accept. Two of them accept. Uh Oh, OK. Now I've got to pick which one. So. I get that that happens. So it's different when you submit the offer. I know there's some programs where if you submit an offer, the, the money's tied up essentially, like you've already paid for it in that sense too. Uh, but it makes a little bit more sense for me that there's unpaid items there versus if somebody accepts an offer that you send, that that should be automatic paid. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So that's the bad. All right. Now... This one, I think, is is a major problem. And the reason I say that is in eBay's latest earnings reports, they made more money off of fees than they made off of gross merchandise sales. Right. And so right now, if if you've been selling eBay forever, and I know a lot of people in the Discord, we have discussion all the time, is if people are saying, hey, you don't need to use promoted listings. Right. You could if you have something that's unique or something that high in demand, like you don't have to you don't have to put promoted listings. But. I don't think that's true. I think, and I could be wrong, but to me, it seems that eBay is saying, Hey, this is how we make our revenue. And we want people to do this because it's giving us greater revenue. And so we're going to put people higher into search that promote their listings. It's all going to be con- like contingent upon what field you're selling in, how much competition. So I definitely understand if I'm selling like unique artwork, and there's like only one of these, yeah. right? And it's a certain type of, and somebody's looking for that. Or if I'm selling something and it's, there's really like maybe one listing, two listings on eBay, promoted listings, probably not as important. Now, if you're selling like we are where, Hey, I'm selling a certain type of shoes. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, Merle's 
size 11 black and a certain model on eBay yeah, yeah. used. Okay. So now my competition is much bigger. So then it makes sense that promoted listing is going to play a huge factor in that. So it's really going to depend. I, I'll never forget. I'm pretty sure it was auction professor, but when we, no, not auction professor, it was a uh, Craigslist center. We had Craigslist center on, uh, on an interview and we were talking to him about the, we we're talking to him about a, a friend of his who that's what he does. Like he only sells high end items, mm -hmm. right? And it's only a couple items uh, per month that he's selling at all. So like he's willing to fly places to source this item. And it's only, if that's the type of thing you're doing, promoted listing is probably not as important, right? Where if you're doing what we're doing, so it's hard. We can't just say like a general, no matter what you have to do, promoted listings. But I would say most people who are doing the type of selling that we're doing, which is probably many of our listeners, yeah, you're agree. gonna have to do promoted listing. Yeah, it's, and remember, and 2% is the base. Right. And so it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I luckily, you know, we're not getting pushed towards pay-per-click. That's a whole nother world, but uh, that's one of the main changes. And again, it goes along with the algorithm. I mean, promoted listings did not exist when we started this podcast. Right. Wait, regular promoted listings did. No. Are you sure? Uh-huh. Hmm. There were, there was no such thing as promoted listings. I when did, no, because I'll never, I'll never forget it, it. So it happened around the same time as Good Till canceled, ended up ending. All oh, right, because there used to be a time when eBay had, and that's not one of the things we're talking about here, but uh, where it used to be Good Till canceled was forever. So once you listed it, you it never would cycle through. It never would do the thirty days. Where once it started doing the thirty days, that's when the promoted listings happened because your items, if they keep cycling through that 30 days, keeps getting pushed lower, lower in the search. And at eBay open, I'd asked, well, if you do promoted listings, does it keep it higher? And they said, yes. So according to this, it was 2015. Oh, 2015. Okay. But it may have been, it may not have been as widespread as, but I mean, it, yeah, it's definitely has changed and become more prevalent. Um, wow, I mean, 2015. Yeah, I mean, that, okay. that's when it says it was introduced. But uh, again, like there's a lot of... <laughs> introduced. Well, there's a lot of things yeah. that have been introduced that like are slow rollout, right? So it may yeah. have been like only certain categories, certain sellers were doing it, certain... So, uh, but yeah, now now it's it's very ubiquitous. It's 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 everywhere. You have no options. Yeah. Like you have no options. All right, hey, we, we mentioned uh, this a lot, but our Discord has been phenomenal. Keep growing, keep getting quality people there. I'm learning every single day that I get on there. I'm also enjoying the conversation, right? We just had a conversation back and forth about, you know, when, when is scalping? Okay. When is it not? And just a good conversation. And, it, and again, it, it never, I don't ever see it going down the rabbit hole of negativity. Right. Or Mike and I at least make sure it doesn't go there. But yeah. And one of the things, I mean, like just, just thinking differently. Cause sometimes you yeah. get locked in your own way of, of, yeah. of reselling. And, and just recently there was a conversation even with somebody saying, Hey, you know, when you live out in a rural area, you have to think about shipping differently. Yeah. Because, I caught that. That I never even thought about the things they were talking about. Yeah. And, and I mean, we thought about like the fact that like if you're shipping something to a rural area, like, okay, the prices are a little bit higher out there. But yeah. I mean, you have to consider a lot of factors when you're reselling. So if you live somewhere, maybe you have access to cheaper items to source at stores, but then you also have to drive 40 miles or something crazy mm -hmm. to get to a UPS store or they, they charge you a higher. So there's a lot of things that, you know, just seeing people's, how they resell, it lets you think differently and, and, and consider what you're doing. And so it is just really cool to be around a group of people who are doing the same thing you're doing, but, but doing it differently. And so it, it I think we all grow and, and get enriched by that uh, type of conversation and, and looking at that. So it was, it was cool. And I, yeah, I definitely love our discord. And one of the cool things is we have a lot of people who support us and 
they they probably don't even use the Discord. They yeah, just support us yeah. uh, because they appreciate what we do, uh, you know, making these podcasts. Honestly, you know, we're, we're paying for servers, we're paying for equipment, we're paying for a, a lot of things to do this. I mean, the software that I use to edit the, the podcast, you know, it's like $60 a month. Like there's a lot of things that we're paying for to make this podcast happen on top of our time. And so there's a lot of people who just say, you know what, PRS podcast has either helped me make some money through some bolos or it's been funny or it's, you know, gives me something to do. And so content like this comes because of people like you who are, are willing to support it. So we thank you for supporting us. Uh, there would be no PRS podcast if it wasn't for people, you know, being grateful enough to give us a little bit of a kickback. So, yeah. And so if you'd love to support us and then have access to the discord as a thank you for supporting us, jump on over to uh, patreon.com slash PRS podcast or go to the link below and I'd uh, love to see you there. If you want to follow us on social media, we are Pureso Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. We are Pureso Cast on Twitter. You can always give us a call, 619-73-1170. That's 619-73-1170. We're, we're almost there, Mike. We're almost there. Mike just can't wait. Uh, you can also uh, leave us uh, a, a Gmail. Leave us a Gmail. <laughs> talk about talk about technologically. By emailing us at purasofpodcast at gmail.com. You can Gmail me. There you go. At purasofpodcast at gmail.com. Have you seen, I've seen these TikToks where guys, instead of asking for numbers, they ask girls for their, their uh, Gmails. Uh, you mean like their Snapchat? Like they're, they're, no, their emails. No, their email address. Is it like a like a funny like a prank thing? Yeah, yeah. Like what's it's your just, email? That was pretty funny. Okay. Anyways, side note. Uh, also, um, we watch different TikToks. That's no, no, no. Saying. Every once in a while, you know, you get something <laughs> random in the feed. Uh, where were my? Oh, hey, by the way, <laughs> thank you to all of you that have uh, dropped reviews on Apple iTunes for us, and it helps out in the. In the algorithm, uh, we're approaching I think seven hundred here soon. So if you haven't had a chance yet, jump on over. Click that five stars. Let people know why you love Pierre's podcast. Appreciate every single one of you and uh, just grateful for all the support, whether it be on Patreon, whether it be just sending out uh, reviews on Apple iTunes or just following us on social media. Thank you to all of you. All right. We got some uh, good ones here. You ready? I'm ready. Come on, hustlers. It's the freaking hustle of the week. Yeah. All right. Hustle of the week. So our first one comes from Caitlin. IG handle at joyful.vintage. So showed up at an estate sale hours early. Nice. To pick up a certain vase she previously learned about online. Ended up picking up the vase for $35. Listed on eBay and sold a few days later. It was an L.E. Smith nubby butt swung vase. Sold for $800 plus free shipping. Holy smoke. Shipping was $80, but luckily it arrived safely. I mean, it's okay to be spending that kind of amount on shipping when uh, when you're making eight hundred dollars. Yeah, holy smoke! I'm seeing like a lot of and think about nubby butt. I'm gonna have yeah, to check that I, out. I never. I now I've seen them, and so it, they're pretty obvious. Like when you spot it out, but yeah, I got to tell you that Caitlin, that's great work. I I, I got to tell you, I'd be kind of scared of floating that box. Yeah. 800 bucks, man. 800 bucks. All right. Hey, uh, this is from uh, Jared. IG handled uh, Jared Volt. Uh, went to a garage sale and bought a camera for $10. The lady selling it stated her daughter bought it, but it didn't work. Looked up comps and decided it was a buy. <laughs> went home to part it. Sold a Maya, M-A-I-Y-A 645 camera with a Secor C 80 millimeter 
F one point nine Japanese lens. Am yeah. I F one point nine? That's the uh, that's the, the mount. The, the F stop. No, that's okay. that, that's how know. wide the aperture is. Okay, <laughs> so this is just a quick tip. Is. I'm just gonna throw that out there. If you see that number on a on a this is I don't know why I've never mentioned this before, but when it comes to lenses, there's usually an F number F something. The lower that number is, the more valuable that lens oh, is. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So a, a 1.9, usually it's 1.8. Like that's that's a more common number. So maybe this is an older type camera. Uh, but yeah, 1.8, uh, 1.4, 1.2. If you're seeing lenses at that level, uh, these are typically very valuable lenses. All right. So that's what sold the camera, uh, he told me. And so he sold that camera, which wasn't working with the lens, for $499.99 plus ship. Love so it. $10 to almost 500 And Jared just asked, wanted to share his store name, and it's a quality underscore Midwest underscore merchandise. So if you want to go maybe score some camera parts, head yeah. on over. Go check out, go check out that uh, sweet sale. That's sweet. All right. Our next one uh, comes from K-Kite. Uh, this is somebody on our Discord. Yes. And came across a 32 sets of vintage playing cards sealed at $50 a piece. 50 cents. Yeah, that's what I meant. 50 cents a piece. 50 cent, 50 cent a piece at the thrift listed on eBay and sold three of them to a collector. So the three that were sold was 2012 bicycle playing cards, 2012 air cushion finish for a hundred and sixty four dollars and ninety seven cents. Man, I tell you what, there is definitely a market for uh, like high quality poker cards or yeah. playing cards. Yeah. Uh, bicycle obviously is, is, a, is a big name brand. Air cushion is something you should be looking for. And when you're looking at vintage um, or older ones, like there's definitely collectors. I mean, I'm amazed if you just go to like a Target or a Walmart or a Ralph's, like it almost doesn't matter. And you see bicycle playing cards, they're often selling for $10 to $15 for a deck of cards. Really? It's yeah. been a long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what used to be like, you'd pay like a couple bucks for a yeah, deck yeah, of playing yeah. cards. If they're bicycle cards and they're like nice, now they have them. So yeah, if you're getting some older ones, man, that's a killer deal. Just to be able to sell three of them for $164, you got 32 total. Yeah. <laughs> That's not bad. Not bad at all. And so, yeah, thank you, Caitlin, Jared, and KK. I always love the Hustle Week. By the way, you can use that hashtag Hustle Week on Instagram and, uh, you know, let us know. Mike wants us, us to be tagged too. You know, who's on there? I can't even see that person's name, but the top G who's been banned from social media has taken over Hustle of the Week. See, and that's what I'm saying, <laughs> man. Like from the beginning, that was, that was, that was our community. Like I had to keep scrolling and I'm like, top G, top G, top G. I'm like, why? Why? I don't know who that is. No, no. Anyways, it, it'll, those of you that know, know. All right. Uh, what was your Hustle of the Week? Uh, so my Hustle of the Week is one that's currently ongoing. So we'll see how this plays out. This might end up being a story during the next update episode. Uh, but coworker of mine, who knows I resell, messaged me the other day and said, hey, my son has outgrown pretty much all of his like toys at this like level. You know, how that okay. you get to like levels. And so yeah, it's yeah. like, so he's outgrown all of his Imaginext and like Hasbro, like superhero toys. So we're talking totes and totes and totes and totes of toys. And a lot of them, I mean, they're not vintage. And that's what I told him. I said, look, I normally, if I'm selling toys, it's going to be vintage yeah, yeah, toys. Yeah. Uh, my son might be interested in some of these and some of them might be worthwhile. So just let me know. And so right now we're kind of going back and forth. Um, I, I probably, I don't know. He's sending me more and more pictures. Some of them are obviously valuable. I mean, Imagine X is, is there's some pretty valuable mm -hmm. pieces there, especially if there's like collectible ones that people are after. Uh, sometimes it's the little figures that are valuable. Sometimes it's like the big sets, almost like the playhouse type things. 
Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out what's worth, but of course, doing the negotiation that we want to do, what's the all-in price, right? So it's almost like a shock when people hear that. Yeah. They're like, wait, because they're just like, well, we're thinking like a dollar for this type of toy and then $2 for this type of toy. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's just do how much for everything, right? And so I'm waiting to get the total price on that. I think it's going to be, I think this is going to work out in my favor where, um, and he knows, he knows I'm, I, I resell and, um, I, you know, I'm going to be honest with him. If there's, if there's nothing in there, I'm not going to buy it. But it looks like from what I'm gathering, there's, there's definitely some, some potential there. So, um, I, I'm just, it's a hustle of the week because this is one of those things where just letting people know around you that you're a reseller mm-hmm, can, mm-hmm. can, can pay off, right? Because how many times do people just throw things away when, when they don't know where else to do with it or they just donate it? And in fact, he said, and this is one of those things where, and it's not like, cause I asked like, what are you planning on doing with this stuff? Like, cause, yeah. cause he's like, well, we're taking pictures of it all right now. I'm like, but are you going to like offer up all these things like Facebook market? Like you, it's a lot of work. Like if Mike's you're gonna, just working the deal. Well, <laughs> a little bit, but at the same time, like I think a lot of people think like, you know, it, it's, it's work, right? Like reselling things. Like if you're going to try and resell and sell individual, basically like dolls as it were, you know, like the, I don't know what they're called, but like the 12 or 18 inch, like Spider-Man hard Hasbro, you know, figures. I don't know what the term is for those, but if you're going to sell each one of those for a dollar or $2 a piece, it's a lot of work mm-hmm. as opposed to like, let's just do the all in thing. And so I asked him like, what, what's your plan with all this? And I guess there's a, a store here, like a resale store that, that will take like old kid toys and oh, yeah. they'll give you like, store credit. Like 25% of the retail. Right. And so that's where I'm thinking like, okay, I just got to come in at above that and I'll be all right. So I know I'll at least be able to get a good deal because I know they're not going to offer. I don't think they're top. offering 25% of retail for toys though. Yeah. Yeah. Like so strollers and stuff like that. Like yeah. Baby resale. Baby resale. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm interested to see how it's going to go. Um, it's, it's not a complete hustle of the week yet, but it's one of those things where building this relationship and being honest with somebody for a period of time and, and just talking about the things you do just ends up paying off. And I've had this happen various times in my reselling career and this is just another one of those examples. So, yeah. All right. What about you? So mine's a hustle a week, but it's kind of a fail hustle a week too. So I went to a garage. Show. I mentioned this. I, I think I shared uh, the sealed Walkman I had sold, but anyways, long story short, I went to a garage sale and it was an interesting one because the garage sale was put on by another reseller who I compete with when we're outsourcing at garage sales. And you probably know who this is, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's that little old lady. You never seen her? She buys a bunch of kids' clothes all the time. Oh, yeah. She, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know. And I guess she must not sell on eBay or something. I wonder if she listens to the podcast. Huh. Probably not. If you're, if you're but, a pure hustler, let us know. Yeah, let us know. But I don't think she does because she threw this huge garage sale. And it was incredible because everything there was stuff I would have listed on eBay, but at a garage sale altogether. Now, there was a hmm. bunch of stuff I probably wouldn't. But there's a lot of good stuff. And so there's these set of pans there. And I've never picked up Griswold. And there was a set of Griswold pans there. And I was like, no way at a garage sale. And and yeah, she charged up and I paid $25. But these were vintage Griswold pans. So I paid $25. And it was a baster, like the thing that you put on top. And I forget the number of the pan. I'll look it up while I'm talking. Uh, but the interesting thing about it was... You know, now I'm entering a whole new niche, right? I'm trying to figure out how, you know, how much to price it for. And prices for this Griswold were all over the place. Some people had sold it for 100. Some people had sold it for 400. Uh, some people had sold it separately at different prices. 
And so I kind of was just shooting in the air like what it was worth. And I thought, oh, I'm selling two pieces. I guess I could sell. I should sell it for a good number. So I put it up for 500 bucks. And then I used the video. And I think I mentioned this on podcast. People started messaging me like, well, does it spin? Is it warped? And I didn't know what all that meant. So I guess on these grizzled pans, if they spin, that means they're warped because if they weren't warped, they would stay, yeah, stay lay still. flat, lay yep. flat. Right. Cause he would ask me, uh, you know, are you able to slide a credit card under it? Like I had all these kinds of questions. So I did the video and within 24 hours, I got an offer of, uh, $275 and I only paid $25. And, uh, I was like, no, nah, it's too soon. And then, you know, they countered again. They're like, Hey, listen, there's some work that needs to be done to these pans. I, you know, I re I refurbish. I don't know what the word was for it. And I was like, no, I got it up for 500. And I said, I, I could take maybe 350. And then I didn't hear from them again. A week later, same offer, 275. And I'm like, no, I can't, you know. And so I waited. And now we're like in month three. Crickets. Nobody, nobody. And somebody offered me 200 bucks. And I was like, you know what? If it was that hot of an item, I probably would have sold it by now. Right. I mean, I, we could all say, yeah, you got to wait for the right buyer. But I think that right buyer was the first person. Yep. And so when this person offered me 200, I didn't even counter offer. I was like, I'll take it. So it, it was a hustle a week, you know, turned a uh, grizzled uh, pan from $25 to $200 plus ship. Uh, but it was also lost because I probably could at least sold it for 75 bucks more. But lesson learned. I learned a lot about Griswold. It was worth it. So uh, keep an eye for Griswold, but uh, yeah, I can't beat 25 to 200 bucks. So that's good. That is my hustle of the week. Yeah. All right. Have you been in need of bubble wrap lately, Mike? Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm always in bubble wrap. Um, I, I bubble wrap and I'm bubble wrapping stuff I'm shipping. And uh, are you? I, I do. <laughs> okay. I, sometimes. And also, um, my, my in laws have finished you know, packing up all of their stuff and, and are, are moving as well. So, uh, they had some of our pictures and we didn't realize that some of their pictures, our pictures under their bed. And I'm talking like, I forgot when I first got married to my wife, she had these like really big, nice, like professionally framed pictures, you know, and I forgot about these things. And so we had to bubble wrap the heck out of them. And I'll tell you what, I'm very glad I had my American bubble boy because otherwise if I was like, man, I've got to go drive somewhere and buy bubble wrap and spend a bunch of money. I probably would have been like miserable the whole time, but I was just like, sure. Let me go to the eBay shed and grab this, uh, this inexpensive high quality bubble wrap that I get sent to my door within a couple of days. And, and it worked out. It worked out real well. There you go. So go to the link below American bubble boy, get that awesome bubble wrap a free same day shipping next day shipping depending where you're located and a uh, local pickup uh and uh yeah help your help you know make sure that you have everything you need for q4 go to the american link below and uh help us out too so yeah. all right let's talk about the really great real great do you agree with the first one i put there i do sending offers man sending offers man when that first came in i remember that was like earth shattering some of these things it's hard to like some, sometimes like some of these things you have them for a little bit of time and it just feels like you've always had them. Yeah. But like to remember like, wait, there was a, a point in time when we didn't have send offer. Yeah. You couldn't actively do anything. Right. For the most part, you were just waiting for sales to come. Yeah. Through. You had no idea really. I mean, you could look and see like, Oh, this item has a bunch of views on it, but you didn't know really if people were that interested. Cause one of the nice things about send offers is it will kind of highlight and 
allow you to send an offer if it's something somebody is like really, really looking, what do they call it? Heavy browsing, right? If they got it in their car. If they look at it more than three times within 15 minutes, they're heavy browsing. That's right. And so it just really lets you um, kind of identify if an item is uh, valuable. It allows you to send out offers like that. Uh, and man, I tell you what, once we got send offers, like the immediate number of additional conversions I was getting on sales was just, it was, it was pretty crazy. Like people were saying, I don't think people were using it all the time. They would try it once or twice. Like I, I sent two offers and they didn't get accepted. Like, I don't know if I like this thing, but man, like if you're sending offers all the time, some of those are going to convert. Right? Yeah, and the key thing is to send it when they're heavy browsing. Yeah. Right. Don't wait till the end of the day. Don't wait till tomorrow because you want to catch them when they're looking at it. Yeah. When it comes to, when it comes to consumerism, uh, it's like, it's like a drug. It's like a, it, people aren't thinking rationally when they're like obsessed with an item that they really want in that moment. Don't give them time to think about it. Feed into that irrationality of, I need this item to make me happy. Oh, look, somebody offered me $10 off on this. I need this item. I'm going to buy it. But if you give them time to think about it, I mean, doesn't that sound awful? But it's true. It's the psychology <laughs> well, no. of it. It's, that's you are how it connecting works. a buyer to something they want. There's nothing awful in that. You're, you're also separating the buyer from money that they may need for something else, but they're wasting on a, but there, on we're a, all on adults. a thingamajig. We're all adults. We're all adults. And I look, I, I get it. I'm, I'm saying I totally agree. I do it. Uh, however, you know, it's, yeah, send offers, it's, it's converted a whole bunch. And yeah, if you're just looking at one-offs, you might send 10 offers and not get anything. But if you're sending 100 offers, a couple hundred offers a month, a bunch of those are going to be conversions and sales that you wouldn't have got had there not been sent offers. So when you add that up over the course of a year of how many extra sales you got because of send offer, it's it's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's been, I got to tell you, it's been great. I mean, it, you know, and again, a lot of people send a lot of offers and they do not get conversions. And so it's just, it's hit or miss, uh, you know, and everybody has a rule. I only, if it's under a hundred dollars, I'll take off $5. If it's under $20, I'll take off like two or three bucks. If it's over a hundred, between hundred to 500, I'll take anywhere from 15 to 35 off. Right. It all depends. But you know, it's, it's nice cause you can at least take some control. Like if you really need a sale that day, you can give them a really nice offer and convert that sale and maybe push, you know, your items in the algorithm. So definitely love send offers. The next one is, uh, I love coupons. I, I, you know, I was not a big believer. If you caught our podcast, I don't know, somewhere in the two hundreds when it first got introduced, I was kind of like, ah, I've been sending them out. Not been that great, but I, I gotta say, I changed my mind because it's allowed me to create repeat buyers. I just wish eBay upfront would tell you they're repeat buyers, but um, I have people that, for example, I have a group of uh, buyers for Department 56. And when I send out that coupon, some of them have told me, hey, I'm going to wait till you get the right Department 56 item. I'm going to use it. Somebody else would told me, I remember one time, hey, I bought this, but I could have used my coupon, but instead I want to use it for this item. And so I ended up getting two sales out of it. So just remember with coupons, like this is something I think that a lot of people aren't using. It just, I wish we could, eBay would share the data and maybe they don't need to, but I don't think a lot of people are, are using some coupons because it's just one extra step. Like you have to go on seller hub. You have to go to marketing. Then you have to, if you want to do it on mass, you have to create buyer groups. And so it takes a little work, but I wanted to let everyone know, like, I really believe it's worth it. I send out coupons about every two weeks. Sometimes it's a public coupon, which I like when, if things are really slow for me, I'll do a public coupon. Like, Hey, you know, if, if, uh, if you buy in the next two days, you know, it's a weekend sale, you get 
the extra 20% off everything by using this code and it does convert. It converts to more sales. Uh, I think the only thing that uh, I would say better in getting immediate uh, results is like running, you know, a live auction like on whatnot or eBay eventually. But the coupons have been really helpful. So yeah. strongly encouraging you, especially this Q4. That's good. Um, and then our last one, which we've already kind of briefly touched on this, but uh, we want to reiterate it, maybe go into a little more detail here is just seller protections in general. Uh, one of the things that we really enjoyed at eBay Open few years ago was the the emphasis that they had on trying to provide additional seller protections. And this is really important because the reality is eBay makes its money off of the sellers. So we kind of are the customer. Mm -hmm. However, our customers are the technical customers, you know, so they're the ones that are, are using the platform. We're the ones that are paying the platform, making the platform money the customers are the ones so it's a it's a weird thing because you know like the sayings the customer's always right you got to please the customer ebay's got kind of like two layers of that we are their customers but the customers are our customers and they're the ones that kind of keep it so there's this weird balance that has happened there and we see that like when they took away the ability to give your customers feedback they kind of remove oh, that yeah, function. Yeah, yeah. And, and a big part of that, and it makes sense, is you, you, they want to create an atmosphere where people want to be on eBay, where people don't feel like eBay is a bad platform for them to be on, that they're going to be judged, that they're going to be. And so there's, it makes sense that there's going to be a lot of customer protections. Hey, if you're not happy with an item, you can do an INAD if you're not. But then to realize that eventually that's going to hurt a bunch of the sellers, that a lot of sellers are going to have false INADs. A lot of sellers sold new shoes and then those shoes come back when the person says they didn't fit right and now they've been like significantly used and now I can't sell these shoes as, as new and, and there's really nothing I can do about it. Like that's not fair. So eBay recognized, hey, we've got to do something for our other customers, the sellers. And I think they've done a pretty good job. Now, are there times when they could still do more? I mean, sure. If you're the one that, that kind of got the short end of the stick, you're always going to feel like yeah. more could have been done. However, I would say I've noticed that it's it's relatively it's inconvenient to have to contact eBay to have something fixed, but it's not impossible. It's one of those things where if you're willing to call, you're willing to explain the situation, uh, you're willing to send the email, you're willing to whatever it is, most likely you're going to have those protections. And it comes down to what we've talked about in previous podcasts. If you've got that reputation and you're meeting the qualifications, I'm a top rated seller, which I became a top rated seller and I didn't feel like it was tons of work right like you just kind of have to yeah you have a certain amount of sales sell some items that, yeah. right sell some items and not have have too many defects and if you do that you're gonna you're gonna be top rated and if you're not top rated right now sell some more items you'll get to top rated uh, and then offer returns it doesn't have to be free returns there's maybe a case to be made that free returns might help you out a little more um, i know that there's definitely a lot of people who feel that way orlando probably among mm -hmm. them however just know that you don't need to. If you're kind of like, oh, I want those seller protections, but I don't want to offer free returns. You don't have to just offer returns and you're going to get those protections. And you'll be amazed at how many times that works out because we've talked about all it takes is that one INAT. All it takes is that one negative feedback. And all of a sudden you've had a 20% drop in your sales mm -hmm. that month. That could be huge if that's your source of income. Oh, that was this last month for me. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. So it was actually worse than that. Uh, sales now have been picking up, but uh, that was because of, if, if you listen to previous podcasts, I had two items that went to authentication and they got rejected, even though they were legitimate. And I truly believe that's what killed my sales. But now things are back. I, I haven't listed in like three days. 
and I'm having all kinds of sales. So I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, now the, the seller protections, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I was with many of you when I first started doing eBay, I was like, there's no way I'll ever do returns. I'll never, especially free returns. You're crazy. 30 day returns. That's crazy. Like 30 days. There's, and so I went through this whole thing. And then once I tried returns the first time, I was like, I can do this. Then I started doing free returns. Then I got to 30 day returns. Now I've not gotten into the 60 day returns, but if they were to offer some kind of other seller protection, if you did 60 day returns, I'd probably do it. So give you a case in point. I've had many, many times where, you know, for example, I had someone recently, they, they purchased like a, a costume for Halloween. And uh, I had said, hey, you know, uh, they, they had messaged me and they're like, oh, you said that, you know, this costume was generally used, but look at the legs are all torn up. And and I didn't get in a debate, but they weren't bad. The, the pictures even showed everything. I showed, showed all these different angles and they're like, I like a partial refund. And on uh, my head, I'm like, what? why would I give you a partial refund? And then they said, oh, by the way, I was going to send it to the tailor. And then I said, okay, well, I can't give you a partial refund. Then their language changed to, I did send it to the tailor. And I'm like, what? So I call eBay and I'm like, hey, you know, I want to give this person a, a partial refund, but I want that item to show to me, show up to me. And they said, well, you know, here's the deal. Uh, oh, I didn't mention this. This is, this is so important to the story. They gave me a negative feedback. They never even messaged me. They just gave me a negative feedback. So they held that negative feedback over my head for the partial refund. So when I called eBay, they said, well, there's two things we could. It seems that obviously they're trying to claim an INAD where it's clear that you're you're clear on this and we could remove the negative feedback or you could give the partial refund and we'll remove the negative feedback and, you know, we'll, we'll get you your money back. And I said, oh, that's interesting. They said, yeah, well, we were able to do this because you offer free returns. So we're able to protect you as a seller because you're accurate. You're accurate in your description. You have great feedback. You try to make things right with the buyer. The buyer doesn't want to send the item back. So we'll remove it for you. And I got to tell you that conversation three, four years ago would have been completely different, right? Where now it's, Hey, if you're a top rated seller, if you sell global shipping, if you do international standard delivery, like all those have these protections in place. And I really do believe, and I know a lot of people will disagree. And again, Maybe I would be in that place if I didn't have the feedback that I have at this moment. But I do think as long as you are trying to do everything right with the buyer, you're messaging the buyer, you're offering the refund, you're telling them you can ship it back. Uh, one of the excuses this individual gave was, well, it would cost me money to print a label. And I was like, nope, I got free shipping. You can just <laughs> drop it off. And as long as you are trying to do everything in your power to provide the best customer service, I do believe uh, eBay's customer service has vastly improved. And I think part of that is we've been talking about this a lot is that eBay is losing market share, right? And they probably, at, you know, if they are making money off of resellers as far as in promoted listings and eBay fees, you also got to recognize they got to do what they can to retain sellers, especially sellers that do this full time. Because again, that's part of their revenue, right? And as much as I say that eBay wouldn't care if they got bad PR, I do agree with Mike that I think there's a point that they do and they want to keep sellers continuing to sell on their platform. The more sellers they have on their platform, the greater the revenue that comes into the company and they continue to do well. So really look into the seller protections, do what you can to get those seller protections. It's not the, you know, the days back in the day where you could do no returns and, 
you're good and and eBay's never going to force return. Those days are gone. But on the other side, there's a lot that's opened up to you to be successful in your business. Yeah. So hopefully everything here that we discussed uh, of these changes, whether it be the good, the bad, or the really great has helped you out. Or even you caught some incredible hustle of the week. And with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Lakes. Peace.